Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Tuesday edition alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Big show planned. Glenn Gilbo will join us from Outkick. SEC writer and columnist. That's in 15 minutes. John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, TexasSportsNation.com with his weekly visit with us. Coming up in an hour, NFL headlines from a man who's covered the league for more than four decades. That's straight ahead. And the Tennessee Power Hour jam-packed today. Gentlemen, MLB postseason begins tonight. We have uh, a solid game last night for Monday Night Football where the Chargers win over the Raiders. And we have Urban Meyer in the headlines. What's up? Fun time for in sports in general. Not a fun time if you're Urban Meyer or a Jacksonville fan. A fun time for Paul with the Yankees-Red Sox tonight. I don't know if this is fun or misery for you, yeah. Paul, in this one-game playoff? It's more misery because I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. Either they'll get blown out or they'll win a nail-biter. There's no scenario where the Yankees win big. It's not how they operate. Like, winning big for the Yankees is a two-run game. Um, so they will either get decked, knocked in the mouth, and it'll be early. Like, Cole will struggle. He'll give up three runs in the first two innings and the, the Yanks will scrap and scrap to get back in it, or uh, it'll go down to, to the bottom of the ninth and be torture, which is a fun torture, but it's torture. Um, I love that J.D. Martinez is out of this game. Are you guys familiar with his injury? I'm not. J.D. Martinez is out with the ankle injury that he suffered because he wasn't paying attention as he ran to center or right field, and he tripped over second base. <laughs> In one of the great all-time injuries. Uh, apparently not aware with the layout of a baseball diamond. Uh, I love this. G Gio Urshela playing for the Yankees after running violently into the Red Sox dugout to catch a pop-up off of a shift where he came from a mile away. I hope this characterizes the Yankees against the Red Sox where a Yankee could hurt himself making a great play and a Red Sox hurts himself hurts himself running over second base, going to take the field. But I hope it's a good, dramatic game on a Tuesday night with no football that, that people like us who have some interest in, in baseball and somebody like me that has great interest in the Yankees can enjoy that earns them then a bashing at the hands of the Tampa Bay Rays again. Um, but I'm nervous as hell. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I would not normally be into every wild card matchup, but... Yankees-Red Sox on one night and Dodgers-Cardinals the next night, that's pretty good. 
That's a great scenario for Major League oh. Baseball with those franchises oh, going yeah. head-to-head. You're never going to have a better wild-card scenario. I'm paying attention to the ratings. This is going to tell us the interest nationally in Major League Baseball for the postseason because of the two wild-card winner-take-all in advance matchups between Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cardinals. I and mean, I, they, they can't ask for a better start to their postseason. And no, no football to compete Nothing. with. And I don't nights. know if you guys have as distinct a formative moment in your sports-rooting lives as I do in the 1978 playoff game when the Yankees and the Red Sox tied. That is the defining moment of my sports-rooting life. Greg Nettles catching the pop-up off the bat of Carl Yastrzemski from Goose Gossage. And this is that. Uh, it's it, they didn't tie, but this is the equivalent. Like you have to, to the, win to get into the playoffs yeah. now. So it it it's that much more monumental because it takes me back to me as a what eight eight or nine year old to the moment that crystallized my sports fandom and and crystallized not just my love of the Yankees but my hatred of the Red Sox, which are the two biggest rooting interests in my life. The second one being a hatred. Hate. Right. In some cases, Yankees fans hate the Red Sox more than they love the Yankees. Yeah. Right? That's flipped. Well, I think well, there's a lot of fan bases that you get way more enjoyment out of your rival losing than yeah. even you get from your team winning. Well, I could get That's both tonight in one bases. swoop, which will be quite a relief. But if I get the other result, I'm out on the playoffs, and it ends. And I know this sounds ridiculous, and I know particularly women listeners, and maybe some guys will relate to it, I don't know, but women listeners will absolutely hate me for it. And I've talked about this before. Teresa and I had a very long relate. We met October 20th, 1998, coming up. We didn't marry until 2004. I... Ended the relationship several times. We broke, we broke up a bunch. And several times it coincided with the Yankees having a miserable October. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, foreshadow. Really making some life choices. Like, uh, yeah, she, she was joking like, with uh, Simon the other day. I said, big game tomorrow night. And she said, yeah, Simon. Daddy's going to decide whether he stays with mommy. Chad, this is like, will the grand, groundhog see his shadow? This is, this is tonight at the Goharskis. I, say, I said to her. may be getting a stepdad. I, <laughs> said, I, I, I said to her, yeah, she once called her Kirk, Kirk Herbstreet that. Um, I, Interesting. I, uh, <laughs> totally, totally I, I, she said, like, daddy's going to decide if he stays with mommy on Tuesday night. And I said, well, you know, if it doesn't end Tuesday night, it's just extended a week. <laughs> Simon's going to be rooting for the Red Sox. Why? Two Christmases. <laughs> Let's go. Double up the holidays. Uh, From here on out. Here we go. Uh, to last night's football game, if I may. Yeah. Hunter Renfro's play is as likable a play for me as I can remember. I mean, obviously you love a great catch or anything. But his recognition of that moment on a play that I feel like if they had snapped it faster and he had less time to recognize it, that is just a great football play by a good, good football player who's not a defensive back, who doesn't have tackling instincts or anything, but recognized it, started to creep, saw it, took off, 12-yard completion. I can't remember who the receiver was, but he had to catch it and get a yard and a half. Renfro comes up and just not only makes it a, what would have been a great tackle, but blows it up and makes sure the guy doesn't catch it. It was great. It was such a terrific play. Um, I thought people were overreacting to the recognition of the play. I mean, the man, the guy was completely uncovered. Campbell yeah, was how, uncovered. Why is nobody there? 
Um, it was great recognition, but yes. it's not the greatest. No, no. Like, it, it, but to get there, I mean, he covered a mile. Yeah, I He's know. the punt return. I know. And uh, even like even the sideline for the Chargers thought that that was going to be a first down by a mile. By and, yeah, and I Renfro did. covered that. And, and at Hunter the time, was a little slow. Like he could have thrown it hard. At the time, yeah. At the time, it was seven nothing, and they decided to go for that fake punt. If they get it, they probably go down and score and make it fourteen nothing. I realized it was twenty one nothing at the end of the half, but at the end of the first quarter, that kept that game within reach. Now oh, for a good while, they they didn't capitalize after they got the football back. The hit was spectacular. Yeah, and and I made the point last week, and I've I've said it several times. I, I'm not fully in on the Raiders because they make everything difficult and they didn't really snap into it in week one until the second half against Baltimore. They took it to overtime. They didn't snap into it last night until the second half. They were down 21 nothing, and they were facing one of the best quarterbacks in football. And they got within a touchdown. Two. For a while you thought right, that, right. hey, they're going to, the Chargers a, might let this go. Yeah, it's always just a like a scramble to, to hang on and get back within the game for them. Chargers are really good. They're really good. Um, and I, I think the Raiders are better than they've been. I, I'm like you. They make it hard. And I think they'll, they'll peter out at the end. I think there's something about Gruden that makes it tiresome. Well, Hutton's been all over the Chargers from the beginning. I have too. They've been loving the Chargers. Love them. And I, the Cards. Cardinals, Chargers. Um, I, I just uh, When you watch how they're, they're made up of uh, the, def- the defensive effort of the Chargers is what people need to start paying attention to. Because Herbert is excellent. He's very, very good. The, the Raiders had four three-and-outs in the first half last night. That's why the Chargers built their lead and won the game. They were able to sustain that in the second half and then capitalize on a touchdown towards the end of the game. Point being, the Chargers have held every opponent this season to their lowest offensive output on the scoreboard so far. And that includes the Dallas Cowboys, who they won against. That's the Dallas loss. Uh, this season. So uh, the Chargers' defense should be getting as many accolades, I think, as, as what we're seeing from the quarterback position and manage Justin Herbert. There's a great Excellent. Twitter conversation last night about how many points per game Anthony Lynn is worth. <laughs> the conclusion was, and not just off straight math, but about four and a half points. Chargers are four and a half points better without Anthony Lynn. And in the NFL today, four and a half points a swing will win you a lot of games if you've got some good people and the Chargers we, we have may be good asking, people. We may be asking that about Arthur Smith. What's he worth to this Titans offense? We could just compare it here, what they're doing offensively right now without him. Yeah, you're um, absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's amazing what a tweak can do here or there or a replacement here or there and how it affects the whole group and the, you know, the mechanism of it, especially when you don't have guys ready for the, the season when they're out for the, the preseason, for the most part. Hamstring city. Uh, yeah, so Raiders lose. Now it's the Cardinals as the lone unbeaten team in the NFL, and they will host the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday. Jimmy Garoppolo has already said that he hopes that it's only a couple of weeks that he's out with the calf injury. We'll ask John McClain about this coming up in about 45 minutes. Last we'll, night, ESPN we'll, was reporting he might play this week. Well, one of the headlines from Schefter, or, or, or bottom line, uh, maybe it was NFL Network, said that Garoppolo was hoping he was only going to mi- it would only be a couple of weeks issue for him. Might be the but 49ers if, just trying to, to keep some mystery for the Cardinals. If it's, and it's early in the week. We, you know, it's Tuesday, Players' Day off for the most part. We'll, we'll find out more about his prognosis, but at best he's questionable for the game. 
That's at least what I would expect. And uh, maybe they turn things over to Trey Lance now and we see a completely different look to Shanahan's offense. McLean knows Kyle Shanahan well. We'll, we'll discuss that with him coming up at 3 o'clock today. Urban Meyer uh, in the headlines for all the wrong reasons over the weekend. Um, just craziness. Craziness. This, this whole thing starts with a very unusual thing of him not coming home with his team. Never mind after a loss, after a win, whatever. You're the leader of the ship, per se. And the ship turns into an airplane. You need to be on the airplane. Yes. I mean, there was a time where a guy, I remember early on in the Titans in Nashville, where a guy like maybe before a long weekend after a Thursday night game or before a bye, it would be a really big deal to ask to stay if you were in your hometown. And you very carefully ask. And And once in a while, you might be able to get granted permission to stay because you'd be coming home to land to get on a plane the next day to go back. But I can't even think of guys asking anymore. I think it's just taboo and you don't ask. So the coach doing it, the leader doing it, and then, you know, he goes and gets himself in an awkward situation that just is un. On, you know, I'm not judging him on any of that. It just doesn't look good. You wouldn't want a player in a situation that doesn't look good, and you're going and getting in a situation that doesn't look good. So just my experience on those charters, uh, for those that don't know, I was with Titans Radio, uh, and for the since 2014, I was able to fly with the team. I was lucky enough, even though I didn't work directly with the team, they granted me access because I was with the broadcast. Nonetheless, you get to see the mechanism of the travel game day for a team. The only person within the, the structure of the organization. Now, ownership would fly sometimes. Sometimes they'd fly and not fly back. Yeah, they could do whatever, what they want. Whatever they want. The only time that one of the leaders of the team would not fly back, meaning head coach, coaching staff, or general manager, was if the GM was then departing for a, a scouting trip from the location and like going to a, another game or whatever it might be, especially if it's a Thursday night game and they're getting ready for a big, long weekend to go scout for the draft or they would be scouting and then meet us and then fly back with the team post game. Sure. Right. That's the only time I can re- uh, remember where someone within the organizational leadership structure did not fly back. So it, it would be extremely odd to not have your head coach on that. Somebody's flight. going to a funeral, Something. you know, extraneous yeah, exactly. circumstance, exactly. but not to go visit your family and, and to go to a bar. Well, he said he was visiting his grandkids. I don't think the blonde was his granddaughter uh, in, the, in, the, in the video. And I'll say this, too. There's a lot of convenient piling on Urban Meyer right now from a lot of sports writers that I have never seen a negative word written about Urban Meyer. When I've been on a show talking about, hey, maybe look at Aaron Hernandez and the history there and how he covered up for that. Maybe look at Zach Smith and that history. The winning... Cured everything. And all of these football writers that backed Urban Meyer for years are now quick to throw dirt on his grave and talk about how he leaves everywhere he goes a mess. In the end, it's just starting quicker now. So I think there's some criticism by convenience with Urban Meyer in this deal. Later in the hour, I'm going to get to a broader topic with this on how we are starting to see the beginning of the end of Urban Meyer in Jacksonville already. How quickly that has turned out. And I'll give you the reason for it and why I think the ownership 
of the Jacksonville Jaguars would have to think this way. And this statement they, would have to that, think this that way. Shad Khan issued is a very critical yes. statement. We will dive into that head first in about 30 minutes. But when we come back, we go straight into the Southeastern Conference. Glenn Gilbo from OutKick uh, has covered the SEC for more than 25 years. He was in Tuscaloosa for Alabama Ole Miss, but went back and rewatched all the big games from the weekend. We'll recap that and give you a preview for week six across the SEC slate. That's all straight ahead on OutKick 360. First, though, let me tell you about my great friends at Toyo's Clinic. See better, look better. With Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyo's Clinic, your number one LASIK provider for anywhere in Middle Tennessee. They also have a wonderful office in Memphis, uh, office in New York City. They now offer the latest technology, flapless LASIK. And with flapless LASIK, the very next day, you can swim, you can work out, you can wear makeup. It's so accurate and convenient that Navy SEALs go right back into training. Boxers go right back into training. I was back to hosting the radio show right after my LASIK procedure in 2016. A common misconception is that depending on your age, a solution to upgrade your eyesight is not always available. With, with Dr. Toyo's ages 18 to 88, if you want out of your glasses or contact lenses, they can help you. Uh, if you're 50 or older, ask about the refractive lens exchange with Dr. Toyo's. Don't let eyesight or hair growth troubles hold you back. Call 888-315-3937. 888-315-3937. You can schedule your LASIK or hair restoration consultation today. Toyo's Clinic. See better, look better. Talk some SEC football straight ahead with Glenn Gilbo. Outkick 360 rolls on from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. One of the uh, one of the big topics whenever we've been out and about over the weekends for the Outkick the Tailgate show has been our studio location. People are extremely jealous of the footprint in downtown Nashville that we have on a daily basis here. If you're coming to Music City for any reason, Make this one of your stops at 6th and Peabody. With Yeehaw Beer, they have the brewery here on location. The distillery for Old Smoky Moonshine is also here on site. Fantastic venue, plenty of TVs. If you're a sports fan, music fan, it's all right here. We love being here as a part of their facility. They should be jealous of our location because it's outstanding. Biggest television, indoor television in Nashville we have here at 6th and Peabody, Old Smoky and Yeehaw. Great place to come hang out, watch games. Tastings are going on right now, right outside of our studio. It's a great spot. Come see us. Mention Outkick the Tailgate. One of our guests this weekend was Glenn Gilbo of Outkick.com. Just recently joined Outkick after covering LSU for more than 25 years. He also covered Alabama and Auburn as well throughout his years covering the SEC. He joined us last week, and he's nice enough to join us again this afternoon. Glenn, hope you're doing well. Good afternoon. How are y'all? Hey, doing doing very well. Uh, I know you and I were both hoping, uh, as we did the the show last week, uh, uh, Saturday, that the game was going to be closer than what it ended up being. It was a blowout, and we knew quickly Alabama was not going to allow Ole Miss to hang around in that game. What did you think from the outset of Kiffin's play calls, um, not play calls, but decisions to go for it on fourth down was there a stubbornness aspect to it after the first drive where it was obvious they should go for fourth? What did you think of that second possession that really put them behind the eight ball as the first quarter came to an end? Yeah, you know, listening to him explain it uh, yesterday, he compared it to, to blackjack. You know, you got to play the same way 
regardless of, of how much money's on the table or regardless of who, who you're playing and his analytics said to, to go for it. And I kind of agreed with the first two, you know, but then when he went for it on his 31, but it was almost like if he'd have punted there, I mean, Alabama was going to win anyway. I, I mean, it was almost like he was trying to stay in the game, but, but he yeah. probably should have punted on his 31 when he was down 14 to nothing because then it was 21, nothing. And it was, it was over. Uh, but you know, if he, and, and actually the first drive, he made two fourth downs before he failed on the last one. So you can understand why he kept going for it. Uh, but if he'd have made one of those of the last three he missed, if he'd have made two of those, you know, or just one, he could have stayed in the game, but in the end, he wasn't going to win anyway. I don't think. Well, I want to ask you about a team you're very familiar with, a program you're very familiar covering, and that's LSU. Um, an important loss on Saturday night against Auburn for Ed Ogeron and that program moving forward. I want to ask you specifically, though, about Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU, and his propensity to go after big-name proven coaches. We've seen it before with Chris Peterson at Washington, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M that he hired, most recently Kim Mulkey who he hired to lead the women's basketball program. When you look at his track record, if things continue to go south for Ed Ogeron, do you expect LSU to go fishing in big fish waters for that next coach? I would think so, you know, and, and gosh, if, if Urban Meyer doesn't, doesn't last in the NFL, what a, what a story that would be if, if Urban returns to the, to the SEC. I mean, I mean, that would be somebody that, that Woodward would go after if, if he was available. Um, but at the same time, you know, he hired Jay Johnson from Arizona to be his baseball coach. And Jay had, had just gone to Omaha and he'd gone to Omaha before at Arizona, hadn't won a national championship, but he was not a huge name. So, you know, it might end up if, if in need a football coach at the end of this season that that Scott would would just you know go for somebody that he thinks is really qualified that might not be a household name, you know he he can do both of those things. Is it your belief, Glenn, that that Coach O, if it continues down this path, is out at the end of the year? I think so. I mean, because he lost five games last year, and if he's in that five and six loss range uh, this year, two straight years. Um, plus with some issues off the field with the, the sexual investigation involving former players and, and Coach O kind of looked the other way in, in those situations. I don't think that's going to help either. Uh, but, yeah, I could, I could definitely see it happening if he, if he gets close to 500 this year or, or you know, if he's 7-5. and five. Yeah, and, and some of their problems just watching that Auburn game seem to be unfixable because they can't run the football. Their offensive line is not good. Max Johnson is okay, but again, that he needs more help around him. I don't see this thing turning around. No, no, especially when you look at the schedule. I mean, that that's the thing, and that's what I saw when I wrote uh, how Coach O really needed to beat Mississippi State just to survive a, a couple of weeks ago, and he was able to get by with that game. But, I mean, you, you, they play five straight top 20 teams coming up, Kentucky, Florida, um, Old Miss, Alabama, and Arkansas. And, uh, you know, they're on the road at Old Miss and, and Alabama and, and Kentucky. I mean, 
So he, the, the only sure win they really have is, is Louisiana Monroe. And the way Texas A&M is playing, you know, you think they might have a shot in that game. So there's five wins, maybe. Uh, may, could they play with Arkansas? Maybe. Uh, but but no, it, it does not look good when you look at the schedule. And you're right. They can't get any new offensive linemen in. And I think Max Johnson's playing very good, considering he has no running game. And he's they're one of the worst teams in the SEC at giving up sacks. So mm-hmm. he, he's doing a lot of it by himself. Well, that, the Scott Woodward tie-in is real, because I'm going to go to his previous stop next with, with A&M, who you mentioned there. And his hire was Jimbo Fisher. Now, I think the second highest paid coach in college football behind Nick Saban with that new contract he got this last offseason. Glenn, is this as simple as he can get a mulligan because he lost his starting quarterback and that's the reason they're struggling so much? Or is there something deeper going on with AM's problems that we've seen now that Zach Calzada is the starting quarterback? Well, I mean, he, he's coming off a very good season last year. And, and this is really his, his first season that you could call uh, disappointing. Uh, though when you, when you looked at his contract, you know, you expected him to do a little more early on. But, yeah, I, I think he gets partly a mulligan because of the quarterback injury. Uh, you know, this could, this could be his bad season. Ed Orgeron's bad season was last year, and, it doesn't, and it's not looking good with him coming back from it. Uh, so we'd have to give Jimbo a chance uh, – you know, how he does next year coming back if, if this ends up being a bad season for AM. But AM's schedule lightens up after this Alabama game, so he could finish strong. Going to be 0 3 in a conference, Texas AM will, for the first time since 2008. And you're right about the, the schedule lightening up, uh, Glenn. You wrote about this Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn, Ole Miss, LSU. Uh, this is one of those situations, just piggybacking off of what Chad is saying. They can't just fall off a cliff here. And based on their defense, they shouldn't. At least I don't expect them to. No, and their defense has played pretty well. They're, they're among the nation's leaders and, and fewest points allowed. Uh, the defense has kept them in some games, and it's going to need to keep them in uh, the Alabama game or it's going to be embarrassing probably. Uh, but, yeah, I, I could see uh, Texas A&M finishing strong with uh, you know eight or maybe even nine wins. How do you imagine Alabama survives after this devastating uh, knee injury and loss of McClellan in their backfield? Well, it, it's it's tough to see that happen to to uh, to Jace. I mean, he's he's a good back. He was their number two back, but uh, <laughs> I think you're kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Alabama's got a lot of depth at running back, and they have quite a few options to move other players over. So I don't think they're going to have any problem. Well, one of the things we brought up, Glenn, on, on Saturday, Brian Robinson, it, Alabama had looked human at running back to start the season. And then Saturday, I mean, they just ran it right at Ole Miss. And, and Robinson was a big reason why. And what was his coming out part? He's back. He's, he's healthy. Uh, th- that is a big boost for that Bama offense. Yeah. You know, I really like Coach Saban's approach to that game. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, last year I tried to be – Lane Kiffin, you know, throwing the ball all over the place and subbing on defense and and trying to uh, outscore them, and they and they won. But this game, he kind of went Gene Stallings. <laughs> I mean, he was just running the ball a lot uh, with with Robinson, and I was 
talking to Ivan Mizell after the game and said, he, you know, he looked like Sherman Williams, uh, who was Coach Stallings back. But, but the, the real important, interesting thing was on defense, Coach Saban didn't do all these subs. You know, he just found his, his 11 and kept them in the game for the most part. I mean, they subbed for, um, to give players a break, but they didn't sub for situations, which I think more coaches should do because, because sometimes, you know, you, you send those subs in late and they don't get set. They don't know what the play is. They're not looking ahead. It's just better to stick with your 11. And Coach Kiffin mentioned that yesterday, too. He said they, they stuck with 11. We weren't expecting that. And that worked better for them than trying to get the perfect 11 in there. And so so both both sides of the ball, Nick, Nick went a little old school, and it really worked. Glenn Gilbo with us from Outkick.com. You can read his work there. Glenn, uh, Georgia opened the game against Arkansas with a nine-play, 75-yard drive. They go into the end zone for the touchdown. And the route was on. They decapitated Arkansas on Saturday. And, and that goes to show, and we'll, we'll, we'll play off of what Alabama was able to prove against Ole Miss. If you don't match Georgia's execution early, you're done for. Uh, you have to come out of the gate swinging and be ready to go. And Arkansas didn't wake up until it was 21-0. Yeah, and I think that explains a little bit why Lane was going for it on fourth down early. He was trying to stay in the game because he because he knew what was coming. And, um, you know, and it's Lane said this too. I mean, it's it's obvious, you know, the SEC is really top-heavy, it looks like right now with, with Georgia and Alabama, especially on defense. And, you know, everybody else is a, is a level back. That's why I think, you know, Arkansas and Ole Miss, it's almost like a consolation playoff game back in the old days when the NFL used to have those <laughs> consolation playoff games. Neither team could stay on the field, Ole Miss – and, and Arkansas with their opponents last week, and now they're playing this week. So, um, you know, I, I, th- I think Florida's offense is better than Georgia's offense, but obviously Georgia's got a better overall team. Um, you know, Florida, you, you can't lose to Kentucky in that situation. They had a chance to win it. So right now it definitely looks like Alabama and Georgia on a collision course in Atlanta. Well, and Glenn, who would have thought, speaking of Kentucky, that it would be LSU trying to play the role of spoiler against the Wildcats uh, as mm. Kentucky is now 5-0 and on the season. They're a three-and-a-half-point home favorite against LSU. Um, and I watched that game against Florida, and Kentucky doesn't do a lot to impress, but yet they beat Dan Mullen's Florida Gators team. 87 yards passing. They didn't run the ball that effectively, but they block a field goal and return it for a touchdown, and the defense comes up big time and time again. What do you make of this Kentucky team that LSU is going to see this weekend? Yeah, and you know, Kentucky beat Florida a few years ago, too. First time since 86 anywhere. Then this one was the first time since 86 in Lexington. But, I mean, I've always ranked Coach Stoops high in my uh, SEC coaching rankings because he's been solid for years with a couple of good years and – and with a history of, of not a lot of success and just just not a great recruiting base. And, I mean, he has been a great coach there. Kentucky's lucky to, uh, to have him. But I, I think Kentucky plays really – their total defense is number 10 in the nation. Their, their running back is, is uh, first in the SEC. They have a very good running game, very good run defense. And LSU has no running game. They're, they're – close to last in the nation in, in rush offense and their defense is, is getting better. 
But uh, this is going to be a difficult game for LSU to win. Now, I, I think LSU will be in the game. You know, like you said, Kentucky kind of plays close games, you know. So LSU will have a chance to win this game and maybe get lucky or something. But um, I would I would think Kentucky's going to win out just based on their defense and running game. Do you envision Stoops as a hot property uh, after the season? And what's the likelihood that somebody could lure him away? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, if he continues to have a, a great season and, and I mean, he'll be playing for the SEC East title next week. If he wins this week, uh, they go to Georgia. Uh, now, you know, I, I don't think he can get by Georgia, but he could still end up having a, a great season, double digit wins and, and, and going to a good bowl. Uh, yeah, I would I would think he would be up for jobs. I'm, I'm surprised, you know, that somebody hasn't already gotten him. But, yeah, I, I would think he'd be up for a, a big job, uh, you know, this coming season. Um, LSU, perhaps, maybe. Who knows? Glenn, I feel like the last three weeks for Auburn football perfectly sums up the entire career for Bo Nix. They go to Happy, Happy Valley and lose a close game. He's not particularly good, but he's not awful. He's terrible a week later against Georgia State. He gets benched. They come back on the road and upset LSU in a game where he has some miraculous plays. Auburn fans go from virtually out on Brian Harson in year one after a game they should have lost to Georgia State to winning in Death Valley. What do you make of Bo Nix? What do you make of this Auburn team in Harson's first year? Well, Bo Nix ought to change his spelling of his first name to B-E-A-U-X. I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, LSU, he's beat LSU twice. He's the first Auburn quarterback to beat LSU twice since Stan White, who's the color man on their radio games, in 92 and 93 was the last time that happened. 99 was the last time Auburn won it all in Tiger Stadium. But, but Bo struggles with – just about all the rest of the SEC, but he's he's had two very good games against LSU, and, and you know he's he's up and down, obviously, but but uh, just a great scrambler. I mean that that scramble he put on to throw the touchdown to get him within thirteen to seven, twenty four yard touchdown at the tight end, that was on fourth down. You know that changed the game because they got back into the game at that point. He he avoided four tacklers and got hit right as he let it go. And I don't know how he saw the receiver when he threw it. But, I mean, it, it looked like he knew exactly where he was. I guess he saw him a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I think you got to stick with Bo now. I thought T.J. Finley deserved a little more playing time going into that game. But but you, you got to kind of stick with Bo now and t- unless he just really messes up. And, and keep T.J. Finley as, as maybe a, uh, a reliever, if you will. So, Glenn, I know you're around a lot of people who cover the SEC on Saturday in, in Tuscaloosa. I'm curious, what was the reaction when people started to see the score trickle in from Tennessee and Missouri, and Tennessee put up 62 points on the road in Columbia? Well, I, I think, um, I mean, that was a toss-up game going in. I don't think it was a surprise that, that Tennessee won. But, but yeah, that the, the, the amount of points they – they put up and, and, you know, suddenly Tennessee looks a little better because, because, you know, they have that loss to Pitt, but, but Pitt puts up a lot of points too. Um, I, um, I think it was, it was, it was kind of a surprise, but not nearly the surprise um, of the Florida loss. I, th- I think most people thought Florida was going to win that game. Glenn, what game are you covering this weekend? Actually, uh, I'm not, at a game this weekend, I'm gonna. This is gonna be my first Saturday where I'm monitoring all the yep. all the 
uh, West games. Uh, there wasn't a, a major marquee game. Uh, so both of our SEC riders, Trey Wallace, we're, we're sitting this weekend out. Uh, and then Trey is going to be at Kentucky, Georgia next week. And I'm going to be in Baton Rouge, home here in Baton Rouge against Florida because LSU hosts Florida. You didn't want to join it, us in College Station? For Bama, I'm sorry. And you didn't want to join us in College Station for Bama A and M this Saturday. Well, you know that was on my uh, schedule earlier, <laughs> but it's going to be not close. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for I don't sure. I think A and M is going to be able to hang with Alabama. Glenn Gilbo, SEC writer and columnist for Outkick.com, he has been our guest. Glenn, thank you as always. Great meeting you this past weekend. We'll catch up soon. All right. Well, there'll be other games soon. Thank you. No Thanks. doubt. Glenn Gilbo has been our guest here on the show. Um, you guys think Georgia is the true number one team in the country after watching them play? They have a 93% stop rate on defense. They're, uh, they're second one. place is That's 85%. Insane. I think they're eight percentage points higher than second place on the list. Um, They've allowed one offensive I, touchdown all year. I mean, this is one where I'll go back to, uh, you know, Alabama is number one until proven otherwise. Sure. Where's so the I'm game? fine with them being number one. It'll be in Atlanta for the SEC. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, neutral field, I'd probably lean them. Tuscaloosa or or Athens. Well, I'd the, the games that matter game. are both going to be on a neutral field because yeah. they'll play in the SEC championship and in the playoff. Yeah. I, I, I was saying, like, if you're giving me a hypothetical game for them r- right now, I don't know. I, I have a hard time picking against Alabama. I do too. But what, what, like I was asked this weekend, is, is Kirby Smart going to win a title at Georgia? I said, yes, maybe this year. I mean, they, they are awesome well, this is when you the, watch them this play. Is the Rewatching that first half last night for Georgia, I mean, they just got all over Arkansas. Who's the best team they played? Because Clemson isn't Arkansas. very good. Arkansas, probably. Arkansas, and Arkansas and then is admittedly not very close to them in the words of their own coach. Yeah, but it's not like they played Samford. No, I, I, mean, I, they, they, I understand. They play, they've also played South Carolina and Vandy and, I mean, just trounced them. So uh, the pressure against Alabama will be different than anything they've seen. It'll be a hell of a game. Hell of a game. Oh, yeah. We'll I mean, have plenty of time to talk about that. No game. doubt. No doubt. Because every week we we're going to start be, talking about preview. it now. Yeah. Coming up, we will discuss Urban Meyer. And I, I brought up earlier, to me, this is the start of the end. Just with the trends that we're seeing with Meyer and Jacksonville. I'll give some examples as to where I'm coming from here. And it's not just the obvious, oh, what's he doing not flying back with the team and he's doing this on video. There's more to it than that. Uh, and there's a player involved in all this. And I've got some, a lot of investment. And I've got some great hypocrisy examples. Outkick 360, excited to partner with Aurora Nutriscience. You know, I grab the, the grab-and-go packs each and every morning, vitamin C, vitamin D3. Outkick 360, mentally sharp and healthy with Aurora Nutriscience. They deliver your supplements where you need them the most, your body. You're seeing vitalifescience.com right now, V-I-D-A-lifescience.com now. This is where you can see more information. Our Outkick 360 season ticket holders receive a 15% off discount with the code Outkick 360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. But here is Aurora. Unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. I personally use the vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione, simple single-use packets 
Uh, curcumin is also available for you. If you're a weekend warrior, if you take medication for high cholesterol, they can help you out as well. Aurora supplements are absorbed in the bloodstream through the GI tract, ensuring there's not, no waste like a capsule or pill. VitaLifeScience.com for more information. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360. VitaLifeScience.com. Back across the OutKick network on OutKick360. Discussing Urban Meyer and everything that's going on there with the Jacksonville Jaguars. John McClain's going to join us in about 10 minutes. We'll get into further details here with all of this and Urban's idiocy. So this was floating around on Twitter earlier today. Um, I, I thought this was great. Urban Meyer wasn't bad on TV. And uh, it's fun to look back on what Urban Meyer said as a TV analyst on Fox, uh, our own network brethren. Um, he had criteria to examine for struggling teams. And if we put up this slide, let's show you the three things that he thinks struggling teams really needed to examine themselves for. It's, it's not a Toyos Clinic issue. Go ahead, it's, Paul. It's uh, trust issues, it. number one. Dysfunctional environment, number two. And selfishness, number three. There it is up on the screen. I think all three of these things are at play for what uh, Shad Khan bashed him for displaying this weekend. A little ironic from, from old herbs. So here's why I think his days in Jacksonville are numbered now. Um, and I, I didn't before this story came out, but it, it, it's hard not to read into Shad Khan's statement. Um, and, and the fact he's not flying back with, with the team um, and the message that sends, right? He, he was very critical of, of Trevor Lawrence going to Vegas on a bachelor party this offseason, but yet he's not coming back with his team after a Thursday night football game and going to this party. I mean, it's, he, he's an idiot. Um, this is about Trevor Lawrence and his development. When you draft a quarterback where they drafted Trevor Lawrence and the investment in all of this, franchise quarterbacks make you Super Bowl contenders for a decade or longer. That's just how it is. And I would not, if I if I'm have the true investment where the Jags lucked into Trevor Lawrence the same way that the Colts fell into Andrew Luck, I would not be wasting a year or two with all this other crap with Urban Meyer and all the distractions. The players tend to already hate him anyway. I would, I would lean towards making sure that I get the coaching hire right around Trevor Lawrence and his development now. So it pays off in this long-term rebuild that they've been in, uh, except for the 2017 season when they went to the AFC Championship game. I, to me, this is bigger than just Urban Meyer back in Ohio after a Thursday night football game. The, there are stepping stones to all of this throughout the offseason. And based on what is being reported out of the locker room, uh, what Mike Silver tweeted out earlier today, uh, with what he's being told from players. It, it, this is more about the sentiment of the players and whether or not they're going to play for this guy now. They, he he was even, laughed out of the team meeting room, by yeah, the way. And, and it sounds like he didn't address this in a team meeting room. He addressed this in positional groups or smaller stuff, then you know, went about his business, got laughed out of a team meeting room. Really ugly stuff with players who see through this. Players see through stuff. And he's basically not practicing what he preaches. Now, who knows who Michael Silver is talking to? But he's got somebody. Uh, one player, this is from him. One player told me he has zero credibility in that stadium. He had very little to begin with. Um, he goes on to say... That stadium is their headquarters. Even if, 
even if canceled, he even canceled the team meeting. He was too scared to speak in front of the team. Another player uh, said he only apologized to position groups individually. Um, he portrayed the woman in the videos as a, ransom, a random person who was just there dancing. Um, and then went on to say, one player said, we looked at him like WTF. Right when he left, everyone started dying laughing and he knew it. Bottom line, said the player, it's bad. I don't know how he's going to function. Well, it comes down to this with Urban Meyer, and this has always been the only problem with Urban Meyer because everywhere he's gone, he's won until now. He has zero self-awareness. Zero. He puts that up on the screen that you showed, Paul, and talks about it, and he keeps a straight face. (laughs) This is a guy who had 40 people arrested at Florida and did nothing about it. He had a guy who's probably a serial killer who shot an automatic weapon into a crowd at Florida and did nothing about it, and he taught a character in leadership class at Ohio State with a straight face. He's just got zero self-awareness. We pick up there with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle talking all NFL headlines next on OutKick 360.